Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Okay, hi everyone. I'm Ro. I'm a compulsive overeater, bulimic, um, restrictor, life restrictor, occasional body assessor. And first of all, thank you, Nancy, for asking me to, to speak and share today. I travel a lot. Um, and wherever I go, I listen to these podcasts when I'm on vacation, traveling for work, whatever. It's one of my tools of recovery, and it's a really big one for me. I... Um, I come from a family of alcoholism and obsession with the alcoholic. Um, and when I was a kid, I learned really early on the tool of self-denial. And for me, um, what I was witnessing in my home was very violent, um, physically and emotionally and verbally violent, um, very chaotic and very uncertain. Um, and I learned early on that whatever I was witnessing and what I said I was witnessing, I was told I was not. So uh, I learned to normalize a lot of danger mixed with love. My home of origin wasn't just scary. There was a lot of good times, a lot of love, a lot of fun, uh, silliness. And every single day there was also the violence. So I learned early on also that love should be mixed with danger. So I learned how to deny myself. I learned how to separate from my body. Um, I learned how to not trust myself. Um, and I, I had my tentacles plugged into people around me trying to figure out how I could control and manage situations to make everything okay. I felt like if I really overachieved, I would make my mom happy and I would ease the pain in the house. I, so I was constantly trying to achieve something. I was a really, really high achiever and I turned into a, a perfectionist as well, which was an amazing survival tool for me. Everything I do today, all... All of the weird things that manifested, tangible things and untangible, like tangible, like before I turned to food, I wasn't, I wasn't really into food from the very beginning. I definitely remember liking desserts and certain foods more than other foods, but um, I also like couldn't care less if I was playing. I didn't care about food. You know, it, it, I wasn't obsessed with it from the beginning. I did, however have a number of other ticks that were soothing for me. I used to pick my scalp, one spot on my head. Um, I used to suck my thumb until I was probably about 14 years old. Um, and then the overachieving was an untangible kind of thing. Like if, if I do really well, um, things will be okay. And um, so I had a bunch of survival tools that were really quite clever of this small person to create um, uh, ways of clocking out um, and ways of passing time. 
I didn't want to stand still. I was constantly like, it was just like a little well-oiled machine, just go, go, go. And eventually, um, I think it was actually around when I stopped sucking my thumb, which I only stopped doing because my sister was making fun of me, and I was just mortified every time I was caught. I kept trying to hide it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I was mortified, so I stopped. But then I needed something to take that place, and I, I found I found food in my mid-teen years, and it didn't show on my body, so no one really said anything about it. I come from a culture where it's like, oh, my God, you eat so much. God bless you. Um, but then in my late teen years, I started, my metabolism changed a little bit and I started to add on some pounds. I was also, um, a competitive and professional dancer. So there was a lot of hyper-focus put on my body. Uh, I also come from a family of many women and, um, they too were just trying to manage and control living life around an alcoholic. And so they all had their own tics with their own bodies I was the youngest child, and I idolized all those adults, and I took on all their stuff. Um, I was always just trying to be okay. I was just trying to be appropriate to life, and I have never felt appropriate to life. Um, really good girl, charismatic, by the book, good student, high achiever. People started to comment on my body gaining weight. It, I could not handle that because me having a really lean wonderful body was part of my identity of all the good things that I could do and the way I could present in a good way and achieve as part of my achievement source. So when I started to put on weight, then I started to really think about food. Then I was like, oh, food goes in. I gain weight. Think about the food. Try and do different things with the food. Try this diet and this diet. I was not good at diets. Um, so I kept gaining weight because I was so sporadic with the food. And also like the more I tried to not eat the food, the more I was eating it. So I was just compulsively eating and also soothing with food. By this point, my late teens, I was like, oh my gosh, food. Ugh, oh my God. It was just such a savior. It was just such a shot of like joy and excitement and soothing. Of course, it always turned into like, oh, too much food. Now I feel sick. I feel lethargic. I feel awful. I'm gaining weight. That crazy cycle. But um, it did help me to stay alive at a, during a many, many years. Of, I was also really badly bullied in high school. So I never found a safe place. I, I went to school and it was scary. I went home and it was scary. And my, okay, so my home life, whatever I decided was going to be permissible at home um, was how I lived in all my relationships. So I was in self-denial. I intertwined danger and love in love relationships, friendships, teachers, mentors. I loved, I, I felt safe to be with someone who, who intermingled danger and love. And um, I, I stumbled upon bulimia in college. I just ate too much and I drank a lot of water and I felt sick and I went to the bathroom and I vomited and my roommate was like, Oh my God, do you feel better? And I was like, I do feel better. And she was like, that's great. And I thought that's amazing. I just sort of found that. And then it started to snowball a little more. And then I started to use bulimia as another tool to cope and manage to plan I can plan binges, I can plan the vomiting, then I can plan clean eating for the week, and then I can recycle that cycle over and over, and I was still doing all the perfectionist stuff of high achieving, um, and then there was still all of the danger, violence that I was experiencing in my home life. 
So that cycle continued, and um, it continued for 10 years. I, I met a guy who I eventually am now married to, but at the time, um, you know, before I found the rooms of OA, I was seeing a therapist as well, I should mention, for many, many years. Um, however, I was always in the cycle of bulimia. I could never pull myself out completely. Um, and it might be like a, 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 a slip, quote unquote, and then nothing for a month and then another slip. And I kept being told by my therapist that it was just a slip and I was still recovered. And I just felt like this cannot be what recovery feels like. This feels atrocious. And I still feel so crazy. And um, I was drowning my husband. He was like my my one of my sane, safe lifeboats. I, I was... I was gifted the gift of not choosing a danger, a dangerous person as my life partner. I think higher power was all over that for me. Um, he's nothing like the relationships I had before recovery, um, but I'm so profoundly grateful that I found him. And that also goes to say that I had this intuitive knowing the whole way through, a really strong, powerful, wonderful, intuitive knowing that led me to do make a lot of good choices in my life before I found recovery. I just want to say I wasn't like some piece of crap before I entered the rooms. Uh, I mean, you're, I, I'm born a, a wonderful light. I believe we are all born wonderful lights that, for me, I just covered, 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 covered the light with many layers that I needed to survive. But occasionally that intuitive knowing would help me make decisions, even in my disease, that were really wonderful and um, but it wasn't steady. It wasn't a steady source. Couldn't trust it. Couldn't trust myself. Couldn't trust anyone else. I eventually I got so, so dark. I, I had suicidal ideation and, um, my outside help was no longer availing me very much support. I just felt I was drowning and then I was drowning. I felt drowning my husband in this darkness and I could not maintain the facade anymore. I was a really high functioning addict in my life, really super duper high functioning addict, always presented well, very high achieving. And I started to drown to the point where I just felt like I felt like the darkness inside was now just all over the outside too. And I had suicidal ideation and I, I found the rooms of OA online and I showed up at my first meeting and I kind of, dissociated, which for a long time I was just saying, like, I just blacked out. Like, I don't, I don't even remember what anyone said. I just felt like, wow, it's so profound that everyone is talking about what I talk about with my therapist, but they're all saying it about themselves to me. It was so immediate um, that I, I was amazed and a woman took my number and I was very mistrusting of everyone in the rooms. Whenever I would share, I also had a stuttering problem for a very long time. I could not I could not clearly uh, uh, articulate my thoughts. I would black out in my life. I would black out in the rooms, just like completely dissociate from myself. Um, if I was faced with um, a confrontation, I would black out. I would lose my words. I would just lose my words. I, I, it, it, I just felt so unconnected to myself and to what I was doing on this planet. It felt like a real inconvenience for me to be around. It really felt like, when is it, when is, when am I gonna get that big job? Or when is that thing gonna happen to me that finally makes me feel like, oh my gosh, I can breathe and I'm peaceful and everything's gonna be okay. I thought something had to happen to me, like I had to get something. As I just felt, I just felt life was so, un, so un, un, like, just 
just uh, not worth it, just not worth the pain of being awake. And in the rooms of OA, I got abstinent from my bulimia first. And um, so, I, so I put down my first abstinence was that I stopped vomiting. And then I also had that I would stop binging. And at the time, my binges were ginormous. My husband can eat a lot. He could not keep up with me and my food. So I knew what a binge was for me in the early days. So I had no binging and no bulimia, but I was still eating actual allergy foods for me, like dairy. Like I would get sick, but I was still eating it early on. And I say this for all the newcomers just to be like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you just got to start somewhere. And had I needed to be perfect from the beginning, it would, I don't know. I don't know, guys, if I would have been able to do it. So I'm really grateful for that first beautiful sponsor I had who just helped me so gently to put down the big stuff. And um, I worked the steps. What, what I, one thing that I always do in recovery yeah. is work the steps. Um, uh-huh. I was working the steps. I put down the bulimia. Things started to clear up. I never met a pink cloud. People talk about pink clouds in recovery. I never met a pink cloud. For me, it was easy does it, slow and painstaking for me in the early days. Just to say, like, the first three months for sure, maybe four, I felt I felt terrible. <laughs> I felt ter- And I was gaining weight, by the way. I put down the bulimia, and I was gaining weight. And I remember I had to fit into this bridesmaid's dress that I had bought when I was still – trying to diet, and I was like, well, I'll fit into this size. And when the day came that I had to jump into this dress, it almost did not fit me. Buttons and pins were popping off of this thing. I had put on weight. I was mortified. And if, and I told the fellow, and now by this point, I had started eating more soberly. Um, and I told the fellow, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm eating, like, these, I think they're pretty decent meals, and I'm not vomiting anymore. And I'm still gaining weight. What is up? I'm so angry with my body. And she said, Ro, she said, you have been in an abusive relationship with your body for over a decade. You, It needs time to trust you. Like, your body needs to know, hey, like, okay, we're, we're taking in a meal. She's not going to throw this up. We're going to keep this in. Um, we don't have to hold on to these calories. You know, your body has to learn to trust you. And I was blown away by that. And I think you that's have five minutes, Ro. Ah, thanks so much, Michael. So um, eventually, over time, my abstinence has changed and shifted as more is revealed. More gets revealed by doing the step work. Every step I work on, and I just keep cycling, 1 through 12, go again, 1 through 12, go again. And then sometimes something will come up in my life where I'm like, wow, do you know what? I think I really need a fourth step on my work and career. It has just dawned on me that my worth is placed so heavily on my work and career. And my sponsor will say, honey, let's do it. What book do you want to work out of? Choose something that – so I just constantly working the step work um, reveals to me more and more. If I got all the miracles all at once, I think I would have passed out. I think I would have blacked out. Um Eventually, my digestive system was healed. I came into a lot of digestive issues. Eventually, um, I mean, I just can't even. I don't. This, my, this, it's a complete psychic change. It is a complete psychic change in my life. It is painstaking, painstaking, and then I hit a plateau of beautiful, peaceful recovery. And then higher power says to me, "Honey, 
You're doing so well. You can handle this next thing now. I know you're going to hold it in your hands so sweetly and gently. Here it is. Here is the next thing I'm going to reveal to you. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so painful, this next thing. And every new pain that comes up is a beautiful gift because it always tells me that my conscious mind I am, my conscious mind is saying, you are more rooted in self-row, in centered, centered of a self rather than leaking into everyone else. I'm in another program of recovery, by the way, which has been also extremely helpful around people, places, and things. Um, centered in myself and I'm centered in my higher power to be able to hold the new problem, quote unquote, issue, defect, survival tool i hold it in my hand and i can look at it now like a like a big mama bear and before i just had this wash this big dark blanket of like kind of miserable low-grade buzz misery and denial denial of myself and now i actually in recovery could hear what those voices sounded like i didn't even hear the voices i didn't even know what the words were that i was saying to myself all those years in recovery i hear it i make new choices i have a new voice i have a new vocabulary with which i use towards myself i take good care of myself my relationships have completely transformed i could not have a picture of my mother in my home without bristling, like spine bristling when I looked at it. I couldn't have a picture of her in my house because the relationship was so bad for so long. My relationship with my mother now is like nothing I ever thought would happen. I would hear my girlfriends would go for lunch with their moms. I'd be like, you're so super cute, and that's wonderful, and I'm so happy for you. Never going to happen for me, and that's okay. In my journey of recovery, I, I learned how to set boundaries, how to detach, and it's painstaking. And a sponsor helps me get understand what those words mean, what that looks like. I practice new actions, and things transform. My mother is like, I don't, I'm like, I can't wait to go and see her, go hang out with her, call her on FaceTime. She's like my little buddy. I don't even know how this happened, except that you just work the steps little by little, Small layers get shedded, and, and it's amazing that it doesn't happen all at once. I thought I wanted it all at once. I thought I wanted all of the healing all at once. I thought that only when I had all the healing would it feel worth it. It doesn't work that way. Every tiny little step, every tiny little chunk of healing has humongous impacts on my life. I My husband would tell you I'm a different person, but I am a more me person today. I handle things with intuitive knowing that used to baffle, 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 baffle me. Um, and, you know, I actually just parted with my sponsor two days ago. And I, what I want to say about that is that things don't have to end in wreckage. I don't have to ignore myself until things get so bad that I have to end a relationship in wreckage. Today, I hear my voice, I, I give myself space, I give higher power space to give me more information, and I can lovingly talk to people and express my needs, and it's okay. Also, with the body image. Thank you, Ro. Time's up. Okay, thanks, Michael. Um, I just want to say that um, the body image um, is a survival tool for me, too, and when I um, experience a life issue, Sometimes it would come up in the food or the body image. I want something to 
focus on and control and manage. So my body image is up right now, and I just address it with such gentle, loving kindness, and I have loads of tools I use towards that. So thank you so much for letting me share with you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the, of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon, and I'll call on you, and you can then unmute and ask your question, which I am good to call on people, Nancy. Okay. Uh, so, any questions? Okay, so we have Faye. Or maybe, Faye, your hand was up from before. Um, I think it might have been. Okay, Julie T. Hi, thanks so much. When you worked on your fourth step resentments about your early family life, what did you learn when you got to the point of what your part was? Thanks, Julie. So... When I worked my fourth step of uh, resentment towards my family, what did I learn in terms of my part? Um, the biggest surprise that I had was that I had less part than I hoped. Um, I really, I really wanted to make some amends. I really felt like if I could please, people please, temperature take, and read minds, I could reach out to everyone that I felt um, I had wronged or I hadn't done perfectly right by, and I could um, make things better between us. I thought I could use the ninth step to make all those relationships better, which, well, looking back, it sounds like an easy fix. When my sponsor so gently and sometimes had to, like, hold me by the shoulders and be like, Ro, this is not your part to fix, I, I actually realized most of my amends would be to myself um, with regards to family. Um, and, and the way that we worked that into action was through setting boundaries moving forward. And boundaries was really painstaking, but... Setting boundaries was part of my ninth step amends to myself because a boundary would look like, let's say, let's say I got on the phone with my mom and she might um, start to get nasty with me. And in the past, what that would look like was to feed into that and I would try and defend myself and no, I'm not doing, and it would snowball until there was a big fight. In recovery, what some of my ninth step amends, uh, living amends to myself looked like was being on the phone with my mother. Let's say the nastiness begins. I have to, I feel it. I have to, I have to feel it in my body. And I, and I would say lovingly, mom, that's not very nice. If you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to have to go. And it, it wouldn't stop her and it would get worse and she would just kind of explode. It, it, in, in my ninth step, I realized a lot of people did not want to change with me. So it would get worse, and I would just say, okay, Mom, I, I'm going to have to go now. All right, bye. And I would get off the phone. My voice would be calm and cool like that. 
I would be shaking, shaking to my core. My hands would be shaking, vibrating. I wanted to just call her back and just like engage in that cycle because it felt this, the danger feels comfortable. And instead, I would make a call to a fellow, to a sponsor, do some writing, and I would practice that over and over, and eventually she stopped being nasty to me. She stopped being because she wanted to be in my life. And, and that is how, in a, in a nutshell, I would have to deal with all of my familial relationships. And sometimes I didn't know what was appropriate. Like, how do, you, how do I respond to something? I didn't even know what was appropriate in dealing with adult conversation. I would have to ask my sponsor, sponsor, this just happened. What is an appropriate reaction? What do I do? I want a temper. She got, guided me through, and that's a lot of what my ninth step, living amends to myself, looked like, was setting a lot of boundaries and learning to be in touch with myself. Uh, Annie. Hello, thank you so much for your share. Um, I wanted to ask, when you mentioned at the end, I know you didn't get to elaborate on it, but you talked about some tools that you use for self-love and self-care. Can you share a little bit about that? Thanks, Annie. Yep, so some tools that I use for self-love and self-care. Well, one of the things I do now, um, and I've done all throughout recovery, which I've been – I shouldn't even say, but I, I've been in um, abstinent for four years and nine months, and my abstinence also now includes recreational sugar and chewing gum, as well as uh, vomiting. But um, in all this time, I have availed myself to outside help that is revealed to me from doing the step work. Uh, and um, so I, I let that be part of my hybrid um, program of recovery, and I'm not going to list what those things are, um, but just whatever intuitively knowing I feel drawn towards and I'll ask my sponsor about. Um, and and that is really self-loving for me because it just kind of evolves and it means I change those rhythms and dynamics as I go. Um, but um, I I practice writing step work every single morning, even for just five minutes. The consistency is extremely important to me because it grounds me and tethers me to the language of recovery, which is part of the different way that I talk to myself today. The words I used to use were not tethered to any language of recovery. So doing step work and writing out step work reinforces new language that I would like to be brainwashed with, by the way, very much so, and I enjoy the brainwashing. It feels squeaky clean and delicious. So I do my morning step work. I pray every day. I meditate. If I'm working on something like right now, I mentioned, like you know, I mentioned at the end of my lead that um, my share that uh, I have body image stuff coming up for me right now. I bring it into my meditation, and I ask God for what I need, and I just say it over and over in my meditation that I, I love and accept and I approve of my body unconditionally. And even if I don't feel it, that's not the point. It's okay. I have enough time in recovery to know that all the old stuff that wants to come up, the darker bits of me, they just want to come up to um, soothe, distract me. They're, they're survival tools. It's okay. I greet them gently, and I go and I take care of myself. Maybe I need a massage. Maybe I need to feel someone's hands on my on my skin in a gentle way. Maybe I um, I, I definitely call my sponsor. Um, I, I'm in touch with fellows. I do WhatsApp messages with fellows, which is really beautiful when I'm traveling, and I travel a lot. 
Um, I write, I read, I, I also just bring God in on anything, anything that I feel like I want to do. If I want to color in a coloring book, I just ask God, will you just like, just be with me as I do this. Just bring, I just bring God in with me on any activity that I'm, that I'm participating in. And that is always self, that is always loving. That is always more gentle. Thanks, Annie. Um, Kate S. Hi, Ro. Thank you for your wonderful share. I really enjoyed that. I heard a lot of parts of my story in that, too. Um, you may have partially answered this in the question before, but as one body image obsessor to another, um, I'm wondering what other kinds of tools and how you use the steps when you really feel that um, rearing up on you. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. So with body image, I use many different tools. Um, like I mentioned, I'll bring a, I'll bring the self-loving words into my meditation with me. Um, I'll pray to God. Um, one of the things that that I really uncovered through step work around body, my body and body image. So I'll do like a fourth step on my body, um, on my the value that I put on my body. And one of the things that came up was like, wow. How does being smaller serve me or higher power? And, you know, my disease never has a good answer for that question. So it's one of the alarms I have on my phone, and I have different alarms depending on what I, what I know I need to work on, now, like right now. Um, I'll have alarms. I'll put alarms in my phone of gentle reminders. And so this re- alarm will come up on my phone of how will being smaller serve you or higher power? And it won't. In my recovery, um, I gained weight. I lost weight. I gained some weight. I'm in such a beautiful, healthy, truly healthy um, body and rhythm right now. And through my step work and taking care of myself, my life has blossomed. My relationships, my marriage, my work, and and I have gained some weight. And being smaller would not help my higher power. It will not help me be a better vessel for my higher power. And that, even just acknowledging that, doesn't go, oh, good, then I'm done with being a body obsessor. But it puts a pause in the in the old thinking. And it just goes like, that's true. That's right, Ro. Oh, my gosh, that's right. I do mirror talk. I know that's not one of the tools. But um, it's for me, it's part of prayer. It's just prayer that I look, I just look at myself basically praying. Um... Uh, I, I'll, I'll do, I'll do writing on my body image. I'll talk to fellows about it and I just try and bookend any negative self-harming thoughts with kind ones. And it doesn't have to feel good. It doesn't have to feel like, yeah, I do feel like I'm super cute. Like I don't have to feel like it. It's just about changing the action. And then over time, I mean, my body image has been wonderful for at least a month, but a life experience happened, and my body image shot up in a in a day. In a day, I suddenly was just like, "Oh my god i I think I've been I've been blinded by self love. I must have gained I don't know how many pounds. I'm definitely different. I'm not different." But five minutes, Ro. Five minutes. Thanks, Michael. The old survival tool of um, oh, let's just focus on our body and obsess over calories, and maybe we can set some goals around this. 
Um, and, and I just want some control. And my body, my sweet body, is one of the things that I use to find control. Because I feel out of control. Because I'm sponsorless right now. That feels out of control. And I miss my sponsor. I loved her. I loved her so much. Um, and it doesn't change the fact that I feel pain, life pain. Um, on that note, I do have people taking my 10 step, taking my food, um, taking my daily writing. So I have my people, my people supporting me through this. But I hope that helps answer your question, Kate. Pam S. Hi. Um, thank you for your lead. Um, I, setting boundaries. I try to set boundaries with my family, but they don't respect the boundaries. And I have a grandson that just started visitation with my son, his dad, and um, they are supposed to be wearing a mask and social distancing, and they don't do that. And I've talked to my sister about it, and um, they just won't do it. So, I mean, I document it, and I have to share that with the magistrate, you know. But um, sometimes I get resentment because they're putting him at risk. They had somebody in the house that was around person that lives that they have COVID. And and what's your question? Oh, my question is, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how when you try to set boundaries and people cross it. I mean, I have to, like, right now not talk to my sister. I don't know what you would do for something okay. like that. So I don't know what to do with something like that. I just told her I, I, I don't want to talk to her. Well, I would say, honestly, Pam, it's it's a big topic, um, setting boundaries, and I don't think I'm going to cover it in, this, in the next few seconds, but I so appreciate your question, and I hear you, and I think it's something that is really valuable to have a sponsor um, help guide guide help guide me through, because it's very nuanced, and it's just circumstance by circumstance. So what I would say is, um, finding someone who has what I want in that arena was really helpful for me in learning what a boundary should look like, could look like, how to set it, um, and how to find peace around the discomfort of setting the boundary. So really being guided by someone else who has more recovery than me in that in that area. Thank you. Michael, do I have time for another? Okay. Okay. Pamela W., Thank you so much, Ro. I'd like to know how service has helped in your recovery. What parts of your recovery have been uplifted by your service? And explain, please. Thank you. Thanks, Pamela. So I started taking service positions from the very beginning of my time in recovery. Um, In the simplest way, it just helped me to get to meetings, and it helped me to talk to people in the rooms um, I felt so disconnected from the, you know, for most of my life that I, I sort of felt like if I didn't participate, no one would miss it. And, and, um, no one would know I was, I was there anyway. Service helped me to find my place in the rooms, take some space in the rooms. Um, it, it helped me to find my voice in communicating um, with other people, other fellows in the rooms. Sponsorship for me has been really extremely important um, because I learned how I learned how I wanted to talk to myself by how I spoke to my sponsees. I 
am very um, gentle and loving and open with my sponsees, and yet I could still be very judgmental of myself if I felt I was imperfect. And I learned, I learned through watching them move through their recovery um, how very important it was to use the same language to myself. Um, when I give dignity to others through service, I, I, I learned that I deserve the same dignity um, from myself. I um, right now don't have a service position in a meeting. Um, I just volunteer to read things whenever um, um, it's called out. But for me, I think the sponsorship has been the most valuable. Thanks, Ro. That's your time. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone.